Good morning. Good morning, everyone. All right, both of us here today, Acts 8, let's jump right in. The commentary mentions how this is the first time the gospel goes to a non-Jew. And I just wanted to kind of provide some background on this because I think it's so uh, interesting. Because um, it's pretty amazing how simple and uncomplicated this interaction is mm-hmm. in Acts 8. Like Philip just goes up to eunuch, preaches the gospel, and then baptizes him. Hey, what are you him, reading? Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but think about what God has to do when God tries to move Peter and the Jerusalem church to do the same thing in Acts 10. God sends an angel to Cornelius and then like gives Peter a dream and you know puts him in a trance and then like has to do that three times. And, and then he has to repeat yeah. the whole thing. And then, and then like, the like yeah, in the next chapter, he has to explain himself when the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius. It's this whole elaborate affair. And it kind of ends with the Jerusalem church going like, well, oh, okay, I guess God wants to do this. And as you read on, you get the sense that the Jerusalem church, because of their cultural baggage, they can't take on the Great Commission and they kind of just fade into the background. I think the gospel just wasn't big enough for the Jerusalem church. Mm -hmm. They wanted to keep its sort of ethnic and cultural expressions and God can use them to further that Great Commission. Philip, if you remember, is one of the church leaders appointed in Acts 6 to handle the distribution of food to the Hellenistic widows. And Philip Mm -hmm. is a Greek name. He's probably a Hellenistic Jew himself. Mm -hmm. And so this is a guy that God uses to bring the gospel to a non-Jew. And I think it's probably because Philip doesn't have this cultural baggage to begin with. Mm. So through him, right, God is able to move the church, the message of the gospel beyond the Jews. Um, and God continues that work through the Antioch church in Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas are set apart for the first missionary journey, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, Apostle Paul, like he's as Jewish as you're, as you're going to get, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and yet he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. And I think, you know, guys like Apostle Paul, Barnabas, Philip, like they got it. Like the gospel transcends our cultural baggage, you know, mm-hmm. lifts us up above our cultural, social, ethnic divisions. And I just think that's a message our world really needs to hear. Uh, and not just only like hear, but really see with their own eyes, mm-hmm. like that the gospel can bring people of such different cultures. tribes and cultures and groups together. To unity. Um, yeah. yeah, especially today with just polarizing politics, identity politics, like just people really going towards tribalism. Man, I, I was really thankful that Uvaldo shared what he shared mm-hmm. at the retreat, right? That he began to grow close to people uh, in his life group, even though he was the only Hispanic. You know, he experienced the unifying power of the gospel through times of open, honest confession over God's word, seeing himself as a sinner, just like everyone else in his life group. Mm-hmm. And then through times of co-laboring um, in the gospel together. And I think as a church, this is something I think we can pray for. Yeah, you know we don't I have think, to. I think we've seen it happen even through our East Coast churches. Right, well. it's more than fifty percent non-Asian. Yeah, yeah, and you know we don't have to do artificially. I mean, we're going to attract who we're going to yeah. attract, right? And we don't have to like be really weird and you know woke about it or whatever. But um, I think it is something we can pray for, and, and maybe where it starts for us is is just getting over you know the small, petty, superficial differences that we allow to divide mm-hmm. us. You know, oh, different upbringing or different personality, stuff like that. Like, man, the gospel is way bigger than that, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, we can have grand dreams about being really multicultural and diverse, right? But I think we, it, where it needs to start for us personally is allow the gospel to be bigger than all the superficial things mm-hmm. we allow to divide us. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to focus on the characteristics about Philip that make him a great evangelist. Characteristic number one, Philip just listens and obeys, mm. and that's what trust looks like. So from verse 27, he, it says, He rose and went. Verse 30, so Philip ran and asked. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. So what stands out to me is that the angel of the Lord and the Spirit prompt Philip to do something. And Philip's response is pretty simple. He doesn't ask why or seek more clarification. He just went as he was told. So there's something of childlike faith in there. He just trusts that God knows what he's doing. There's no second guessing. I'm not sure how often you guys have this experience, but it's like when you ask someone to do something for you, the experience is very different when the person keeps asking for more clarification or says things like, really, you think we should do that? Or just keeps giving you a pushback. There's just a lot of friction. And I think it does something relationally. It actually gets relationally tiring after a while, which I think has a cooling effect on relationships. For example, with Silas, when I tell him to do something, 
right now, for the most part, he's kind of doing it. But recently, he's been asking a lot more why, or he just ignores me. Right. And now, in the mornings where he just listens, it's a breeze to just get in the car. But on days when he's not listening, it's really tiring. And by the time we're in the car, Steve and I are just in a bad mood. <laughs> so you, you can kind of see how that works, right? I notice that with God or ministry things, often I want to know the why and how. And it's not to say don't seek knowledge and understanding. I think that's really important. I'm, I am a big proponent for that. But the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes that can be really relationally tiring to have. To answer all of those questions. And so, all this to say that there's a certain level of trust that we can give to God, just knowing that God is working and He has everything in control. It's kind of like in an army, like the soldiers just do as they're told. No comments, no complaining. They trust their lieutenant that they know what they're doing. And I think here, Philip exemplifies this kind of radical trust in the Spirit, just going as He was told. I think this is what trust looks like. It looks like listening and obeying, following step by step, versus putting up a lot of friction and just second guessing all the time. Yeah, and I think、um, just that point again that Jamie made—it's—it's it's relational, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times what prevents us from trusting and obeying God in this way is we forget it's a relationship, right?、Yeah. And God is inviting us into relationship to trust in Him,、um, even within an army.、Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, you, you trust you your leaders. You need that、leaders. trust between the men, right? So it is relational even there.、Um, yeah, and I think the characteristic number two of Philip that makes him an effective evangelist is he's just able to handle scripture. Verse thirty-five: Philip opened his mouth, beginning with the scripture he told him the good news about Jesus, and he's able to answer the、mm-hmm. Ethiopian eunuch's questions about scripture and point him to Jesus. That reminded me of our key verse from two years ago, Second Timothy two fifteen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It even reminded me of Tuesday's Bible cooking time. You know, Second Corinthians five eighteen nineteen. You know, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So right there,、um, in Second Corinthians, you have salvation and commission tied together. Right, it's not separated.、Mm-hmm. Your reconciliation with God is simultaneously accompanied with being given the ministry of reconciliation, being entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation. You know, it's not just the responsibility of the church leaders or the preachers. You know, it's the expectation that every Christian、uh, knows how to bring this message of reconciliation and is able to handle、mm-hmm. the word of truth, bring that message to other people. I think this might be something we're a little out of practice with because of COVID, and you know, we've been learning a lot of other skills in A to C N, and、mm. maybe maybe this is something we need to pick up again. That you know, we're all ministers of the gospel, we need to have this basic competence, right? And I think a simple way to do that is to just take our D T S and our messages with just an extra measure of intensity,、mm-hmm. right? To really want to be people who can explain. And articulate、um, the word of God to others. Characteristic number three: ready to preach the gospel wherever he is. Looking at verse thirty-nine and forty, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip gets whisked away by the spirit, and here I'm expecting him to be all disoriented and confused. But guess what he does? He goes on preaching to the gospel. To all the towns, and he's focused on this mission. He's ready in season and out of season. Second Timothy four two, and so I think that's pretty amazing. So maybe one question to ask ourselves is: Are we ready to preach the gospel wherever we go? Not just when we're at church or engaged with ministry here, but wherever we go, whether it be at work or even in a new campus. And so, just to quickly sum up what we talked about today, characteristics that describe Philip make him an effective evangelist are: one, he just listens and obeys, and that's what trust looks like; two, he's able to handle scripture; and three, he's ready to preach the gospel wherever he is.